1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting back with verse 4, it says, Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doeth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for allowing us to be in your house tonight. Father, I pray, dear God, that you would touch each and every person that's out tonight. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would comfort every heart, that you would meet every need. Father, there's so many tonight. Uh, they've got family members that are sick, that are dealing with things themselves. Lord, I just pray that you would reach out and touch and give grace to every one of them. Father, we again thank you for allowing us to be here. Pray, dear God, that you'd forgive us of our sins. Hide us behind that cross, dear God, and allow your word, Lord God, to find your lodging place in our heart. Help us to take it, learn from it, and to live it out in a lost and dying world. And Lord, we'll thank you and praise you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, dealing with the subject, the absolutes of the Christian attitude, coming to Paul's attitude on divine love. We looked last week at verses 1 through 3 of this chapter there. It was an attitude of supremacy. He said that love was a, it conquered all things. It was over all things. It, it, he said that even the ministry, the very preaching or prophesying or anything that is done without love was worthless. And, and to make a statement like that is tremendous within itself because the Bible teaches us Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It goes on to say that God had chosen the foolishness of preaching to save some. Preaching, not the preacher, not anything there. The Word of God is the absolute avenue of salvation. We don't get saved by entertainment. A person doesn't get saved by uh, you know skits and plays and songs. All that plays a part in the service. And music is a tremendous part of the ministry. And it prepares our heart for worship. But it is the Word of God, the living Word of God, that pierces the heart of a sinner there, shows them they're lost and undone. And by that living Spirit of God and that Word, draws them unto the cross of Calvary. Now something as important, as monumental as that as essential as that is to the Christian faith there as as essential as that Paul said without love it was worthless now he talked about it being supreme in all things there but when he comes here to this second part in verses 4 down through verse number 7 again he gives 15 virtues of love there. Fifteen of the attributes of love there. Uh, each one of them showing the sincerity. He talks about love's sincerity. Friends, what he was saying there is just as when we look in a mirror and we, we see that mirror there and that mirror shows us when, when something is out of place, when something is wrong, just as we use that mirror to correct those things, he said uh, he's telling us to use the Word of God as that mirror to shine it in our hearts and to gauge the love that we have not only for the Lord, but also for one another uh, by those standards there, by those 15 uh, different virtues. Now this morning, uh, we looked at the fact, we looked at two of those virtues there, and it dealt with love's behavior uh, shown by temperament. Love is patient. The word patient, again, dealing only with, uh, the, the Greek word there meaning only with patient towards people there. It's talking about uh, personal relationships. It's talking about how we witness, how we love, how we forgive people that have wronged us. Again, uh, the, the Greek word there, uh, giving signature or describing a man who is wronged and having the ability to avenge that wrong yet refusing to do so. 
That's the same kind of love there. It's the same word that describes God's dealing with man there. And the fact that uh, though we are sinners, though we've broken God's law, He has mercy on us and grace on us. And He loves us there uh, with that, that undying, that agape love there that reaches down and shows us we're lost and has a desire to save us instead of condemn us there. He talked about love being patient. He talked about love being kind there in our, our dealings with other people and the practices of others there. How we show people that love. But tonight I want you to look at more notice two things tonight there not only do we see there uh, love's behavior shown in temperament but notice secondly we see love's behavior uh, shown in tenderness there uh, look at verse number four second part of verse number four and verse number five there in the second part of verse four we see there is a tenderness in the attitude that is shown there it says it says, Charity envieth not there. Charity vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up there. I want you to notice there, there is a lack of envy that is being talked about. He said, Charity envieth not there. There are two kinds of envy that are talked about in the Bible. Two kinds of envy that are described there, one being very different from the other. The first kind of envy is when someone wants something, uh, something that someone else has. Friends, as much as we hate to admit it, that's human nature. Okay? That's the reason that sales are. That's the reason that people do so well at sales. That's the reason uh, that the ch- that the kids going back to, to high school and going back to school there have to have the newest and the greatest thing there. That's the reason you have popularity. They see someone that has it, they want that same thing, and, and that's again that plays on that human emotion there. But there's a second kind of envy. That second kind of envy. Not only do you have the first there that wants what somebody else has, but the second kind of envy is the kind that wants someone else not to have something. The second kind of envy begrudges somebody that has something there. That is the worst kind of envy there. That's what Paul is talking about. A jealousy among other people. A desire uh, so much so we see someone that is uh, prospering and we're in a tight place there. We're going through a trial and somebody else has an easy way and we look at them and we say, oh, I wish, they would, I wish that would come crumbling down. I wish they'd lose this or I wish they'd lose that. It's an envy that that shows a bitterness and a hatred in heart there. And friends, that is an envy uh, that shows a complete lack of love when it comes down to it. That, That type of mentality that is held there Shows a complete absence of the love of God there. Uh, What God chooses to bless one person with may not be what God chooses to bless another with. What one person can handle, there are some. But the Bible is very clear there that there are very few that can handle great wealth. Wealth many times when we think about it. You hear people that say uh, money is the root of all evil. Friends, that's not what the Scripture says. Money is a necessity. We have to have it. As a matter of fact, the Bible shows over and over again that a man that won't work and won't take care of his family is worse than an infidel. Right. Uh, money, there's nothing wrong with it. The love of money is the root of all evil. And there's a correction that is made there. But there are very few people that can handle riches. Riches many times, someone that does not have a need many times, does not pray as hard. Doesn't seek God as much. Doesn't lean on the Lord as much. Many times that, that money becomes that God. Many times it becomes that, that security blanket there and we trust more in a bank account than we do in our Savior. And that's why there are many folks that can't handle that and God chooses not to bless many with that. But when somebody is given something of that, that envy that is being talked about, Paul said, love envieth not, charity envieth not. It does not see something that someone else has. It doesn't wish evil. On someone else there. He talks about that uh, the lack of envy there. He talks also about the lack of entitlement. He says it vaunteth not itself. What it means when it says it vaunteth not itself. It means that this is a kind of love that owes 
not a kind of love that is owed. Let me explain what I'm talking about. In 1 John 4 and verse number 19, the Bible says, we love Him because He first loved us. Right? What John was talking about there is the, the, the reason that we should have love, devotion, service to God is because of what He's done for us first. He initiated that love and we owe Him. Paul used the phrase, he said, I am a debtor. The word debtor there, what that word actually means, what he was saying there is he owes a debt that he could never fully repay. What he was saying is he recognized what Christ had done for him in salvation. He had never gotten over how good God was to save him and the mercy He showed him and and what salvation brought to him. And so because of that, I owe a debt that I could never pay no matter how hard I work or what I do to serve there. Paul went to the ends of the earth, probably one of the greatest missionaries, if not the greatest missionary, and yet he said, I'm still, I still owe something I could not pay. He was talking about that burden, that debt there, friends. I believe many Christians today fall short and do not realize, don't even come close to realizing what salvation truly means today. Salvation is much more than your name written down in heaven. That's a, that, is, that is ultimately, that is the, the ultimate finish line, that is the goal, that is, uh, friends, what we ought to strive and desire for every one of us, uh, every person we know to be saved, that's, uh, go out to the highways and hedges and to seek the, uh, seek out the lost there. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. We should have that burden. But salvation is much more than heaven today, friends. Salvation does not start when we die here and then and take our step into eternity. Salvation starts the moment Christ comes into our heart. He forgives us, of, uh, forgives us of our sin. He washes us once for all. Every sin we've ever committed in the past, present, and even in the future is paid for in Christ. We're made perfect in Him. We're adopted into the family of God. We're made righteous by God, friends. That's better than anything we could ever imagine. And because of that, We owe God all that we could ever have. Friends, do you realize if you're saved today, you are in better standings than Adam and Eve before sin came into the world? You say, oh, preacher, what are you talking about? Listen to me now. Adam and Eve, before sin came into the world, were innocent. Okay? They were innocent. They fellowshiped with God. But see, that innocence could be broken. You and I today are declared righteous. There's a big difference in there. That righteousness is an eternal declaration there. It's called justified, justification in the Bible. We are deemed just, righteous, holy in the sight of God. And because of what Christ has done, that can never be taken away from us. Adam could lose what he had. We saw that in the fact that God warned him before it happened. In the moment you eat of the fruit thereof, you shall surely die, Genesis 2.17. We saw that after they had sinned, they realized they were naked. The fellowship was broken. They were ashamed of their appearance. They hid from God. God, but you and I today, thank God, friends, if we sin, and when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We don't have that separation. Death doesn't come in. Christ has conquered death for us. He's paid for it once and for all, and death no longer has a hold on you and I. He's brought us in, friends. Salvation has done more than we could ever realize tonight. If we would just get a hold of that, and get a hold of the fact that because of how good God is to us, and because of that gift of salvation, we owe Him everything we have. That's right. Everything we have, friends, uh, every uh, dime we have ought to be at God's disposal. Everything we own ought to be for God to do what He wants with it. It amazes me. It breaks my heart. And I know I said it, it's, it's, it is universal across the church, but there are folks that, that, that the mentality is, well, if I wake up in time and I feel like it, I'll go to church. 
If I feel like it, I'll read my Bible. If, 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 you know, if I have a problem, I'll pray. Friends, we, have, we owe God everything we've got. He deserves our very best. And I'll tell you, if, if many of us gave our jobs the same attention we gave to God, we'd have a whole lot more unemployed people. He deserves our very best. And it says, it vaunteth not itself. It doesn't feel like it's owed anything. Right? There's no entitlement to it. He said, I owe everything I have. Not only the lack of, of envy and the lack of entitlement, but he also talks about the lack of exaltation. He said, it's not puffed up. What that means is it's humble. I was reading an account there, a man by the name of William Carey. William Carey, if you're not familiar with that name, was, he is often referred to as the father of modern day missions. William Carey was a, a uh, English, um, he was an English um, uh, Bible student, I believe it was over at Cambridge. And he was, he was saved there and God was dealing with his heart for the ministry. He was going to school for the ministry and God was dealing with his heart to go over to India, to take the gospel over to India. No one had ever done that before. Uh, William Carey goes to, uh, he went to his professors at Cambridge there and shared with him his burden. And they looked at him and they said, let the heathen worry about themselves. They would not support him to go over there. But William Carey knew that God was calling him over to India and he left anyway, spent years in India, spent no less than about 40 years in India, ended up translating the, uh, the Bible in no less than 34 different languages in that country there, uh, witnessed and won countless millions to Christ there, a tremendous missionary. And it's been said that the story is said that, that one day over in India, William Carey was sitting down and he was having dinner with a group of people and there was one man that sought there out of envy and out of jealousy, sought to embarrass and humiliate William Carey. And he looked at him and he said, Mr. Carey, I suppose that in your previous life you were, uh, he said, I was told you were nothing more than a shoemaker. Trying to belittle this man for his former profession there, uh, saying he was just a shoemaker. William's Carey, William Carey's response. He looked at him and he said, no, my lordship, not a shoemaker, but a shoe cobbler. What he was saying is, I wasn't even good enough to make the shoes, all I did was repair them. He was humble in that love there. He looked at that man and instead of coming with pride and saying, do you realize what I've done in this country? Do you realize how many millions I've reached there? He comes with a humble spirit of pride that that man no doubt uh, left with his jaw dropped there, had no response to that. Friends, he showed a tremendous humility about himself. That's the tenderness of love tonight. Love does not seek to get even with the person that has done them wrong. Love does not seek to get the upper hand or the betterment there. Love doesn't seek to win that argument there. Love seeks to honor God in the midst of it. That is a hard thing to do. I don't know about you. My wife's not here so I can say this tonight. I've been married 13 years. I've been married 13 years. It seems like when you were in the midst of those arguments... It seems like the devil gives you exactly what to say. That man, you, you drop this one, you're going to win the argument. But like I said this morning, nobody ever wins an argument. What you end up doing in pride or in arrogance, you say that thing and you end up hurting that other person. And you see them and they may go silent and they may, that argument may end, but guess what? You've done more harm than you've done good. You've not helped anything. That's not love. Right? Love is when you, you've got that that, that, that trump card, you've got that last thing to say, but you keep your mouth shut because you don't want to hurt that person. Love is when you look at that person and you look at someone that has done, done you wrong and you can bring up that past sin, but you choose not to. 
Love is when you have every right to be mean to the person or to mistreat the person that has mistreated you, but yet you choose not to. That is a divine kind of love. That is a tenderness that has to be there. That has to be present in the heart of God's people if we're going to be able to win anybody for Christ. Like I said before, you don't have to tell a sinner they're a sinner. Right? It's our job to preach the gospel. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But you don't have to run somebody down that's already down. That's, that's just kicking a person when they're down. They know that. It's God's grace. That it shows them that love. It lifts them up. It shows them that they are valuable. I think of, uh, of so many that, that have had such a tender heart. One of my favorite, again, uh, William and Elizabeth Booth, the, the founder of, of Salvation Army. And the testimony, I've shared this before, the testimony that she had at her funeral. This was a woman of great means. She was very wealthy. She was, her parents were very affluent there. And, and when she married William Booth and they started that Salvation Army, uh, they gave up those riches. And I remember reading at her funeral there that they, they could not hold it in any public building. Because there were too many people. There was nothing that would hold that many people that came there. They held it out in the court square and they had to have police escorts to keep the line moving and to keep order. There were so many people. And one man stopped in front of that casket and just bawled with tears running down his face there. Big, rough-looking man. And that officer said, I'm sorry, sir, but you have to keep moving. And he said, no, sir, you don't understand. He said, this woman saved my life. He said, several years back, I was uh, drinking and riding. We were in the bar there. And he said, and a man and I got into a, a bar fight. He said, we ended up out in the street there. And the man pulled a gun and was going to shoot me and kill me dead in that street. He said, and this woman came and stood in between us and told us about the love of God. Spared that man's life. The line continued to go on. And there was a young woman that came up there. Had a little girl beside of her. Little child beside of her. Did the same thing, stood at that casket, just cried. That officer said, I'm sorry, ma'am, you've got to keep moving. She said, Sir, you don't understand. She said, This woman saved my life. She said, I was looking over. She said, I was sitting over on the edge there at the, at, at the bridge, getting ready to end my life. This was a woman that was very promiscuous. She was a harlot. She said, I was getting ready to end my life, feeling worthless and run down and. and knowing how, how bad things had gotten. She said, right at that time, Elizabeth Booth came and sat down beside of her and just put her arm around her and told her about the love of Christ. Told this young lady there, when, someone, when everyone else would walk away and look at her and say, oh, she's getting what she deserves. When you look at those two that were in that bar fight, you say, oh, that drunkard, oh, he's getting what he deserves. And yet she stood in between them. She told him about the love of God. Friends, that's love's tenderness tonight. There's a tenderness that saved two souls from going to hell. And no doubt how many, no, 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 no understanding as to how many more that little child would be raised in a Christian home because of that witness there. That man, no, no telling whether or not he went home. Whether or not he had a family to go home to. But there was a change that took place there because of love's tenderness tonight. Friends, if you're sitting here tonight, you may be the one say, Preacher, I wasn't raised in church. Preacher, I wasn't raised in a pew. But somebody cared about you and somebody prayed for you. And you knew where you were when God saved you. You knew what kind of lifestyle you were living. You knew you were wrapped up in sin. And yet somebody showed the tenderness of God's love and God's mercy and God's grace there. And they witnessed to you and they loved you. And you're sitting here because of it tonight. Friends, that's a debt 
that we can't repay. Love's behavior shown there in, in tenderness. Love's behavior, when we look at it, shown in our temperament. And thirdly tonight, what we see is love's behavior that is shown by our testimony. Not only was it a, a tenderness that was displayed in attitude, but it was a tenderness that was displayed in action. That we look at verse number 5. Verse number 5 there it says, do not, it's, it's compassionate, do not behaveth itself unseemly. It means ungraciously. It was considerate, seeketh not her own there. I think about the military. When I think about this, seeketh not her own. The call of every soldier is a call of sacrifice. There today are soldiers. We are sitting here with freedom today. We, we are allowed to walk in this church. We don't hide what we do in this church. We take our messages. We put them out openly on the internet. We give them to anybody who wants them. Because of soldiers who have fought for our freedom. Amen. They gave a sacrifice for us. That we most likely will never fully understand. And they did that, that whole attitude, that attitude of sacrifice was for someone they've never met before, someone they most likely will never meet before, and they did that with a heart of love. Friends, the Bible says, the Bible says that we are called to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. That means that we are to have that same attitude of sacrifice where we go out to someone who we've never met before, who could never repay us, who could never give to us, and we are to share the love of God with them. And that love is compassionate. It is considerate. It is calm there. It said it is not easily provoked. It's not easily outraged there. It's not easily exasperated is what that word means. Proverbs 16 and verse number 32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. Someone that keeps that anger in check there. Again, it is easy to fly off the handle. It's easy when someone has mistreated us and talked bad about us to, to return that same thing. But that love of God, that grace of God keeps us calm and, and, and merciful and considerate and makes us reach out to others there. helps us uh, to keep that cool there. It is also a clean love. Clean in their actions there. It says, uh, thinketh no evil. Uh, I love uh, what is being talked about here. The, the word here that, it, that is being talked about um, what it literally means, what it's literally talking about here, the, the Greek word, uh, it, it is an accountant's word. It was a, a word that an accountant would use. It means to enter into a ledger so that it would not be forgotten. Right? When it says, thinketh no evil, what that means is it does not remember past wrongs. It doesn't keep an account of past wrongs. Well, I'll tell you, some of us, some of God's people, Sad thing about it is, we'll hold a grudge better than anybody else. We won't talk to so and so, and churches have been divided and split, and families have, have split, and, and fellowships have been broken. And this side won't talk to that side, and the devil loves that. That's right. That, that is, I believe the devil sits back and laughs when God's own people can't get together and can't deal with each other, can't treat each other right within the house of God. You know, I'll I tell you that I, I remember there was a, a man that, that him and I had a falling out. And I held a grudge 
on this man for, for a while. So much so that, that any time the, the, the person's name was even mentioned, it, 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 would, it would just, I mean, my blood would boil. It would send me into a rage. And one day I, I came back from preaching and one day God got all over me. I said, how can you stand up and preach with a clear conscience when you can't even deal with somebody right? And I got to thinking about that, that grudge. Whether that person ever apologized to me or not, all I could do was, was take care of my part of it. And that grudge that I was holding, that, that anger, that, that bitterness, that, that account that I kept, guess who it hurt? Not them. Me. They weren't losing any sleep over it. They probably didn't even know. But it was eating me up. God's love, there is a clean love, thinketh no evil. It lays down those grudges. It says, I'm not going to pick them back up. It, it, there is a freedom to that. That, that is, is so liberating and so fulfilling when we can forgive someone even who hasn't asked for it. We can forgive them not because they deserve it, not because who they are, but because who God is. And because He's forgiven us. And we want to show that same love. Friends, loves, uh, t- I said love's behavior in temperament, love's behavior in tenderness, and last of all, love's behavior in testimony. Again, uh, verses 6 and 7. It's a testimony of purity in verse number 6. It says, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Let me put that to you in layman's terms. True love does not gossip. True love does not entertain rumors. True love is not impressed with the busybody. True love is not on the phone saying, did you hear what so-and-so did? Did you hear about so-and-so? That's, true love does not do that. True love is only interested in the truth. Take it a step further. True love is interested in showing mercy to the person. Is interested in restoring the brother or sister that may be outside of God's will. That testimony of purity. And last of all tonight, the testimony of persistency. Look at verse number 7. Just a couple things with this verse and we'll close. It's a testimony of persistency. We see there, first of all, the covering. It said, beareth all things. The word beareth there literally means it covereth all things. In 1 Peter 4 and verse number 8, the Bible says this, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Have fervent charity. The word fervent, it means passionate. It means, uh, it means hot. It means desireful. It means uh, something that is strong. Have, have a, 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 fer- a passionate love towards one another. So much so that you have a desire to cover up those sins. Friends, it does not mean you sweep them under the rug. That's not what it's talking about. It means it's dealt with and it's forgotten. It means it's not brought out into a public manner. If someone wrongs you, you don't go out and blast it all over town. You go talk to that person one-on-one, straighten that thing out and forget about it. And move on. Shake hands. And mend things up there. It says there, it beareth all things. True love can cover those things. True love can say, listen... I'm sorry for the wrong I've done. True love can also say, listen, I forgive you for what you've done. That again is essential to Christian life. It's essential to being able to serve together. Because guess what? There's going to be a time when like it or not, we hurt each other's feelings. You know why? Because we're human. There's going to be a time 
and I've said this before, I say it as humbly as I know how to, as your pastor, there's going to be a time that you will get upset with me. There's going to be a time that you will disagree with me. That's okay. As long as it is done in respect, as long as it is done in maturity, and we work things out and we shake hands, we move on, guess what? That's how problems are solved. It amazes me. It breaks me. It worries me. We've got a generation of kids coming up now College kids that have safe spaces so they can go have a temper tantrum because they don't know how to handle when someone disagrees with them. It's okay if if we disagree. It's okay if we don't see eye to eye on everything. That's you, you can you, you're not going to see eye to eye with your spouse on everything. That's, that's human nature. But love beareth all things. Is willing to move on and to keep going for the cause of Christ. Not only the covering, but the confidence is believeth all things there. It means that we have faith towards God, we trust His promises, and we look for the best in men. I know, I guarantee you within this room, there's a handful of people right now, so preacher, I've been hurt so many times that I just keep my guard up and I don't trust anybody. Guarantee it. We keep that shield up, we won't open our heart. We say, no one is going to hurt me. No one's going to bother me. No one's going to be able to do that again. The problem with that is, we can never truly love with that up. The problem with those walls there, see, love. Love is not a, a Hallmark movie, guys. Love, sometimes there's hurt in love. Sometimes there's growing pains with it. That, that's, that's part of it. But those walls there will keep us from ever being able to truly love. When we look for the worst in someone, we cannot look at them the way God looks at them. Because when God looks at us, He sees someone He died for. When Christ looks at us, He sees somebody He willingly gave His life for. We need to see that same thing. When we look at someone, we need to be able to look at them and say, Christ loved them enough to die for them. I need to too. You say, preacher, that's not easy. No, it is not. I'll take it a step further. It's not possible by human nature. It's divine love. It takes a surrender to God's will. It takes His power to do it. But it is possible. The covering, the confidence, notice the calculation there. It says, hopeth all things there. That, what that simply means is true love looks and says no one is hopeless. True love looks and it says every man, every woman, every boy and every girl is worth saving. They look, that, that, that hopeth all things there, it means it is, that that person is not outside of the reach of God. Is not outside of the care of God. Is not outside of the desire or the value of God. He loves the, the one in the gutter as much as He loves the one in the church pew. Right. Last of all tonight, not only the, the covering and the confidence, the calculation, but last of all, we see the conquering that's being talked about. It said, endureth all things. The word endure here, the Greek word that is used there, it does not mean to passively bear or simply to, to endure something just to get through it. But what it literally means is to conquer. It means to conquer. Love conquers all things. I think about it, I'll give you this illustration we'll close. There was a man by the name of George Matheson. The man was, was losing his eyesight and was becoming blind there. And he wrote this in a prayer with what little eyesight he had left. He wrote this prayer that he would accept God, uh, God's will not, uh, not with a, a dire resignation, 
but with a holy joy, not only with an absence of murmur, but with a song of praise. He desired, he said, his desire, when it said, endureth all things, conquereth all things, he said, no matter what comes against me, I don't just want to endure it. I don't just want to get through it without murmuring. I want to praise God for it. That's worship. When we look at God and we say, Lord, I trust You enough that even the things You take from me, I'm going to praise You for. That is a heart that is truly surrendered to God. A heart that truly loves God. You say, preacher, could you do that with everything? I don't know, to be honest with you. I don't know if I could ever look at my spouse if something were to happen to her. If I, I don't know if I could ever look and thank God for that. That would be a hard thing to do. I don't know if I could ever look and thank God if something happened to my children, if something could do that. I, I don't know if I could ever do that. That would be a tremendous thing there. You, you think about things we take for granted, our health, our homes, you know, our security. What happens if we lose those? Can we still praise God? That's a hard place to be. We look at a man like Job. And Satan said, Doeth Job serve God for naught? Does he serve you for no reason? And God allowed him to lose not only his, his, his fortune and all he had there, he lost his family. And he lost his health there. And yet Job said, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Friends, that's the love of God tonight. That's a love that says, Lord, I trust you no matter what. Now, friends, again, it's easy to say, Lord, I trust you when your bank account's full. It's easy to say, Lord, I trust you when your family's right and your health is good. It's a whole different story when the storm is beating down on your house. It's a whole different story when it's dark and you can't see your hand in front of your face. And you're saying, Lord, I, I don't know how to keep going. But a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And if God can't put us through the fire, God can't use us. But what He puts us through is never for our harm, but always to show us more of His love. When we realize, I, I love, I, you know, we, we quote the, the first part of the book of Job, and we look at everything Job lost, and we look at his response there. But what I love is those last three chapters. Where God shows up and Job is, is going on a rant. He said, oh, if I could just talk to God. If I could just talk to God, I'd get this all straightened out. And God shows up and says, alright, talk. And Job is silenced. God says, where were you when I hung the stars? Where were you when I put the foundation in the earth? Where were you when I formed the oceans? All these things he goes on and lists there. And Job is humbled and he sees the glory of God. But Job's response is what really gets me. Before God gave him anything back, Job said, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, before I knew about you, now I know you. That's love there. The tri even the trials, when we realize tonight that even the trials that God gives us are because He loves us. Friends, then we're in a place where God can use us and we're growing for Him. I don't know about you, I don't want any more trials on me than I have to go through. I, I think it would be foolish to pray for any more than what you have to go through. You've already got enough coming your way. But I know one thing. I sure do want to stand before God and hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. I want to know that at the end of it, I walked closer with God every day 
than when I started. That comes with us loving Him and with us loving those that He's given us. Let's all stand and our heads bowed and eyes closed.